number 4. Proverbs chapter number 4. I really had intended to go all the way through this chapter this week, and I got down to verse 23, and I I realized that uh, there's just so much to be said for those final verses that I, I don't want to rush through it. So uh, we're, we're going down to verse 23 tonight, and then, uh, Lord willing, we'll pick up from there and finish it out in, uh, in another week. And although there's not very many verses there, uh, there's uh, a lot of great important truths. So beginning in verse number 1 down through verse 4, And this entire chapter, if I had to give it a title, I would just call it Walking in Wisdom. And he begins by talking about the transmission of wisdom, transmitting it from one generation to the next. And and that becomes obvious whenever you see what he says, verse 1. Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you... Good doctrine, forsake ye not my law, for I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also, and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. In this chapter, he reveals how that wisdom affects every single area of our life. And at the very beginning, he shows us the value of parental instruction, something we desperately need in this day and age. But he also speaks here about the child's responsibility to attain and retain wisdom. You know, a lot of times we just put it all on the, on the parents, and a lot of people use that as an excuse for the rest of their life, you know. Eh, you know, my mom and dad, they didn't teach me. They... You know, they weren't good examples or whatever it is. And we've, we've just got a lot of people go through life blaming others, the failure of others. And, you know, there comes a point in our life where we have to take responsibility for what we do. You know, somebody says, well, my daddy was a drunk. I guess, you know, I'm just destined to be a drunk. No, you're not. You are what you are because of the choices that you make. And so he speaks here about parental instruction but also the responsibility of the children to attain and retain wisdom. And then he proceeds from this point to talk about the practical value of wisdom, and he declares a stern warning to those that refuse to embrace it. So let's look at these first four verses, the transmission of wisdom. And notice he tells us here in the first place that his teaching was transmitted to him by his father. Just hold your finger there. Don't leave where we're at. But going back to First Chronicles chapter number twenty-eight. First Chronicles chapter number twenty-eight, and and uh, let me find the verse I'm looking for. Uh, verse number nine. It says, "And thou, Solomon, my son." Of course, this is David speaking. Know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all of the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. 
So here we see just one example, and certainly that's not the only time that David said something like that to Solomon, but it's confirmation of the statement that Solomon is now making to his son. And it's interesting to me that he doesn't make any mention of his royalty or his riches. Did you notice that? Uh, the emphasis here on, on his daddy teaching him the truth. He doesn't say anything, you know, my, my dad was a king. And, or he doesn't say anything about my dad was a very wealthy man or a famous man or anything like that. And so he understood that wisdom was of greater value than pride or, or, or position and possessions and things of that nature. And so Solomon understands that, that his daddy had taught him and imparted good knowledge to him and instructed him in the ways of the Lord. And so now here he is with his own children and teaching them uh, to follow the teachings of God. And now notice in verse number one, and this involves two things. I apologize for that. I don't know what's going on. It keeps popping and, and what have you. I hope you can get through it anyway. But uh, no, notice uh, he, he says, verse number one, where am I at here? Look at verse 11. Now, we're jumping ahead, but I just want to point out that the instruction involved two things. Instruction, notice this, I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. Okay, here we go. Okay, now we're tied up in the keys. <laughs> Okay, verse 11. Oh, that's better, I can tell. He says, I have taught thee. But then notice the next phrase. He says, I led thee in right paths. And the reason I'm jumping ahead and want you to look at, at, at that verse is so you'll understand that his teaching involved two things. It involved instruction, but also example. Uh, he said, I taught you, but I also led. And that's something that's so important because it's easy for us to, you know, just tell our children something, give them instructions. You know, this is right and that's wrong and so forth and just leave it there. But if we don't flesh it out, if we don't live it out, if we don't put it in shoe leather, uh, it's not going to have an impact upon them. We can, you know, tell them all we want to, how life ought to be lived, but if they see us living contrary to what we've been teaching them, the only thing it's going to do is build up resentment in their heart. In, in, in other words, they're going to see that we've got a double standard. We've got, you know, one standard for them, our expectations, you know, or such and such, but then we live contrary to the way we've been teaching them. So Solomon is pointing out the fact that his dad taught him, but his dad also led him by example. So Notice, going back now to verse 1, and, and here we see not only did his teaching involve two things, but his teaching was truthful. And there's three things that he says here. Verse 1 is, here's the request. He says, Hear ye, children, ye children, the instruction of a father, 
and attend to no understanding. So this is, this is a request. And, you know, I think there's a lot of wisdom even in that because there's a lot of times, you know, we try to encourage our children to learn, but we don't approach it in a, what, what, a mannerly fashion or, you know, I've always said being right doesn't give you the right to be rude. And, and there's a lot of times, you know, in telling our kids what they ought to do and what have you, we can say the right thing the wrong way, do as much harm as though we'd said the wrong thing. I mean, that happens. And so he's putting this in the form of a request. And, and I think it makes a lot more impact rather than just lecturing them, saying, look, you're going to do this whether you like it or not. And I realize that there is a time and a place for that because occasionally, even after you've made your request and you've begged and you've pleaded and you've prayed and you've done everything you know to do and they won't respond, there comes a time where you've got to be more firm. But I don't think you ought to start there. It ought to start with with presenting it in a way that this is a request. And, you know, if we can ever convince our kiddos that the important thing about living for God is that it's for their own good. It's for their own good. And, and, and if they ever see that, boy, they'll be so much better off. So he starts with the request, but then notice in verse 2 down through verse 4, he shows us the reason for it. And so here's an explanation to his son. I made the request. Let me give you the reason why I'm asking you to do this. For I give unto you good doctrine, that is, good teaching. Forsake ye not my law. Well, as parents, we need to be certain that we're giving our children good doctrine. Well, to do that, what? It's got to be Bible-based, right? So it's not a matter of family tradition. And it's not a matter of our own ideas and our own theories. It's a matter of making sure that we give them good doctrine, which is what the Word of God teaches. So he's emphasizing that to his son. If you can just get the picture in your mind, him sitting there with his boy, making a request now that he listen and that he learn, and now he is explaining that uh, what I'm telling you is good, it's correct, it's right, it's beneficial. And then he says, verse number 3, For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Boy, you know, I read that and there's one word that comes to my mind. Memory. Memories. Memories. That old song, Precious Memories, how they linger, how they ever flood my soul. And, and, you know, he's got to be thinking of that right now as he's teaching his child. He's thinking about mom and thinking about dad. And uh, all, all of these memories are flooding his soul. You know that's got to be especially true in Solomon's case. Because you look back and you see his older brother died as a result of David's sin, of course. And I mean, they got that stain on the family throughout all of those generations. And uh, so all through his lifetime, he realizes that sin doesn't pay. And his dad was a prime example of that. And he says, verse 4, He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Notice it says, He taught me, not told me. 
you know, he told me, no, he taught him. It's one thing to tell our kids something. It's another thing to actually teach them. You know, as I understand it, and I'm certainly no scholar when it comes to English or Greek or Hebrew or anything like that, but several years ago I was doing a study, and, you know, back in the country, uh, you've heard people say, well, you know, he ain't got no book learning. And we, we, we you know, we often use that word uh, learning in, in reference to, you know, we generally think somebody learning and they're in the process of gathering information and what have you. But uh, orig- originally the, the word teach implied learning. In other words, not just teaching. And so, somebody isn't taught, in other words, until they learn. Nowadays we, you know, use the word teach all of the time, whether they learn or not. Well, I taught them. Well, in the strictest sense, you really didn't. You didn't teach them anything. They didn't learn anything. You just gave them information. And so he's emphasizing the fact that his daddy had taught him. But but notice how important it is. He tells him here, he says, uh, says, for this is thy life. Or notice, and he says, and live. In other words, this is a matter of life and death. So he makes his request, he gives the reasons, and now he speaks about the results. And that takes us to verse 5 and to the, and to the next section where he moves from talking about the transmission of wisdom to the traits of wisdom. In other words, this, you kind of say this is what wisdom looks like. So let's read verse 5 down through verse 10. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. And neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not. And she shall preserve thee, love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all of thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. Shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. Oh, boy, that ought to get your attention whenever he makes a statement like that. So notice in this section, he shows us what wisdom will do and what we must do. And let's just, I'm not going to reread it all, just you follow along. Verse 6 Talking about what wisdom will do, he says it will preserve thee. Verse 6 again, wisdom will keep thee. And uh, that word keep implies to guard and to protect. But look at verse 8, he says it will promote thee. And then verse 8 again, she, wisdom is being personified, spoken of as, as, a, as, as a woman. She shall bring thee to honor Verse 9, she shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. In other words, it's something that's going to beautify your life. In in other words, you're not just going to be right in what you do, but it's going to be something that will add beauty to your life. And then verse number 9, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. And then if you look all the way down at verse 13, you'd see he makes this statement, she is thy life, which is what he's just said, that wisdom is the very thing that, that, that keeps us alive and protects us and helps us. And so he's, it's, it's like he's taken a piece of paper and a pencil and just laid it all out before his son that this is what wisdom will do. 
This is how you can benefit by listening to what I say, following what I do, and through understanding and wisdom, this is what will happen. And it starts with, it'll keep you all the way down to the fact that, uh, that longevity is involved. You'll live longer if you live right. And so then in the light of what wisdom will do, he turns around and speaks about what we ought to do. Look at verse number 5, and we'll just look at each statement here. He says, get wisdom, get understanding. Well, we ought to get wisdom because of what? Why? What's the big deal? What, what, what does it matter as long as I enjoy life? Well, because of what wisdom gives us. In other words, all of the benefits we've just been talking about. Get wisdom because this is what it will do. And the benefits of wisdom ought to motivate us to seek wisdom. I mean, whenever you look at that list again, keep thee, promote thee, bring thee to honor. It's an ornament of grace in your life, a crown of glory in and, and, and your very life. And you look at that and, and all of a sudden you decide, wait a minute, wisdom is something I can't live without. I mean, it's just that important. So he says, get wisdom, get understanding. Look at verse number 6 now. It says, forsake her not. You see, wisdom must be attained because it doesn't come automatic. I mean, you know, you don't reach a certain age that just, you know, God opens up your head and dumps in a gallon of wisdom and understanding. It's not something that's automatic. It has to be taught. It has to be received. So we have to attain unto wisdom. We've got to get it somewhere because we don't have it on our own. But then notice it has to be maintained. Forsake her not. In other words, we have to retain what we have received. I don't know if you ever thought about it or not, but and we've oftentimes, you know, heard uh, heard people talk about the devil. You know, uh, knowing where our weak places are, and, and the devil, you know, taking advantage of that, and so uh, he he strikes when our guard is down, and. And so he knows your weakness, and he's going to prey on that. And, 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 and I realize that's true, but do you realize whenever you look through the Bible and you examine the lives of all of those great men, especially in the Old Testament, and, and, and whenever, whenever you take notice of their fall, every one of them fell in their strong suit, every one of them. If they fell, they didn't fall in their weak area, they fell in their strong area. I mean, here's David, a man after God's own heart. What does he do? Well, you know what he did. Here's Abraham, the father of the, uh, of the faithful, you know, a great man of faith. I mean, he's the friend of God. What does he do? Well, he doesn't have enough trust in God that it causes him to lie and, and got himself in all kinds of problems. And so you just look in each instance. Think about Solomon. The wisest man on the face of the earth. What did he do? The dumbest thing anybody ever did. He took unto him all of these many different wives that turned his heart away from God. And so in, in all of this, we see them failing in their strong point. So, you, you know, just because you think, well, boy, I've got this area of my life really nailed down. I don't need to worry about that. That's where I'm really strong. And that's probably right where you will fail. So that's why wisdom has to be not only attained, but we have to retain it. We've got to keep it after we've got it. 
because it's possible for us, speaking in a practical sense, it's possible for us to lose the wisdom that we've gained. So he says, forsake her not. But look at verse number 6. He says something else. He says, love her. And and it's as though that, you know, he's picturing here... uh, uh, being wed to wisdom. And notice I said wisdom was personified, likened unto a woman, and it's almost as though he's painting him a word picture of being wed to wisdom. And just as a man is not to put away his wife, we're not to forsake wisdom. Just as a man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, we ought to love wisdom. And so, just stop and ask yourself the question, is that the way I feel about wisdom? You know, do I attach that kind of importance to wisdom? You know, do I understand what the great benefits are? Am I searching after it? Am I working to retain wisdom in my life? So he says, notice, get wisdom and understanding. Forsake her not. Verse 6, love her. Look at verse 8, exalt her. That means magnify wisdom. That's what I'm trying to do right now in this teaching. I'm trying to exalt or to magnify wisdom to make it uh, as large and as important as I possibly can. But the point here is that we need to live in such a way that other people will see that we attach great value to wisdom. You know, whenever you look at someone... Maybe it's a co-worker, a neighbor, a relative, or whatever, and you look at their life. And after a while, if you know them well enough, you begin to figure out what's really important to them. I know people that the only thing in the world that's really, really important to them is fishing, for example. They, they, that's what they live for. That's, you know, I know others that are... You know, they've got this hobby or that hobby. I know people that are married to their job. I mean, that's all they think about. They're workaholics. That's what their life consists of. And it can be any number of things. But as you look at these people after a while, the very mention of their name reminds you of what it is they value in life. You and I ought to live in such a way that when our name is mentioned that others know automatically that we consider wisdom to be of extremely great value, very important. And naturally, the way that we do that is by projecting that in our manner of life, not making dumb decisions. And and then, then verse 13, we're just going to jump down there and then we'll come back. Verse 13, he says, "Let, let her not go, keep her. Don't, don't let her go. So again, we have to retain what we have attained. Now let's go back to verse 11, and uh, we'll pick up a little bit of speed trying to get through here. But here we see the teachings of wisdom. Now he's been teaching about wisdom, and he's spoken about the traits of wisdom, the transmission of wisdom, but this is the teachings of wisdom. In other words, not only does wisdom promote honor, it prevents harm, and that's what we're going to see here. And he starts out in verse 11, 12, and 13 with a reminder. He says, I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. Well, see, this is a reminder, but I mean, the kid already knows that, right? Because he says, I've already done that. I, I taught thee in the way of wisdom, and I have led thee in right paths. 
When thou goest, thy step shall not be straightened, and when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction, and let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. According to this and the Bible as a whole, holiness is the key to preservation. Uh, evil company and all of the attendant evils, you know, that come along with it are things that we ought to avoid at all costs because ultimately we're going to suffer the consequences of the things that we do. It's a law of God. We reap what we sow. So godliness is the key to prosperity and longevity. And we can go all the way back to the first promise of the Bible. You'll remember the first promise that was given, that promise that, that if children would honor and obey their parents, they would live longer, you see. And so a lot of times we don't think about the benefit of living a holy life. We get the idea, well, I'm going to heaven whenever I die, you know, so it really doesn't make much difference how I live. Well, you might go to heaven a whole lot sooner than what you think. I mean, you know, you say, well, that wouldn't be bad. Heaven is wonderful. Well, the only bad part about it is you're going to have to live with eternity, live all of eternity without the rewards that you could have won. Just as there are differences in the stars, Paul says, there's different degrees of glory, and it does make a difference in heaven how you live here. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just go to heaven by the skin of my teeth and not have any rewards or any crowns to lay down to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's important that we... Walk in holiness. Now, having given his son this reminder, verse 14, he begins stating his responsibilities. And he says, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. I'll bet, I'll bet every one of you can look back on your life, and you can think of some instance where bad company led you astray. I mean, you made the ultimate decision. I understand that. But, but you, you, you know, you was with somebody or a group of kids or whatever, and somebody said, let's do this. And I can remember as a teenager, us guys sitting around trying to think, what are we going to do tonight? And we was thinking about, you know, what, what can we do to get into trouble and turn over an outhouse or whatever it was. But we'd sit around. If we didn't have anything to do, we'd brainstorm. We'd sit there and think about something to do. Well, let's sneak in old, old, old man Gates' barn tonight, you know, and do this or do that. And, and, and so uh, you get with the wrong crowd, and there's always going to be somebody come up with some crazy idea that's going to end up getting you in trouble. I remember the time that we decided that we were up in this big old pear tree and across the, across the street over there, the fellow had a garage and some real nice windows. Nobody was over there. That's just kind of his work garage he lived on down the street. And we started chunking those pears and knocked out his window lights over there. And uh, they figured out that it was us. And I'd like to be able to say, well, that was David Kelly's fault. But the fact of the matter is... I was the one to blame, and he got in trouble because he was with me. And so, you know, we can be with bad company or we can be bad company. But either way, uh, the Bible says that evil communications corrupts good manners. 
So, and, and Solomon knows this, so he's telling his son, enter not into the path of the wicked and stay away from them. Don't go down that same road with them. Verse 15, avoid it, pass not by it, and turn from it and pass away. And so we need to remind our children that, that they have choices, but choices have consequences. And, and it's almost like he's saying here in verse number 15, Get as far away from it as you can. Well, doesn't the Bible say to avoid even the very appearance of evil? You know, somebody, and, and I know there's a lot of times you had to make a decision. All of a sudden, your, your child has a new friend that lives down the street. You don't know anything about this kid. You don't know anything about his family. You know, and so they start talking about, you know, can, can little Billy come over? Or, or can I go down to Billy's house and... You don't know anything about them at all, and after a while you find yourself in a conflict with your kid and the struggle, you know, between your, 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 uh, you and your child over some kid, and you want to direct them in the right path, and if you're smart, you don't want to just, you know, give them leeway, let them go wherever they want to go, and that's why, you know, we always kind of had a rule that if our, if our kids had friends, they were welcome at our house. They'd come to our house, come over and play in the yard or whatever. And uh, and uh, kids need to have friends, but you can't just let them go and, and run with the others. He says, pass not by it. Turn away from it. Uh, keep away, because choices have consequences. Verse 16, for they sleep not. <laughs> they sleep not except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they call some some to fall. In other words, they're, they're, they're not content in doing evil themselves. Notice, they take delight in dragging others down with them. They can't even get a good night's sleep. They're so upset. They haven't done anything exciting today. They haven't hurt anybody today, or whatever it might be. And so he says they can't even sleep except they've done mischief. Notice, unless they call some to fall, they're on a mission. They're going to try to drag your kid down. By the way, if you're not careful, it might be your kid trying to drag the neighbor's kid down. Verse 17, For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. And this is a perfect picture of the fact that they are out to hurt others. That's their intent. I just so angered by this whole thing up there in Ferguson, Missouri. And, uh, you know, I mean, I wasn't there. But from the account and everything, as I understand it, uh, you know, the cop gets out, the kid's walking down the road, whether or not, you know, uh, the cop knew that he had just pulled off a robbery down there at the little store or not, I don't know. But he approaches the kid, the kid uh, hits him, breaks the orbital socket there in his face, and a fight or struggle or whatever ensues, and the kid keeps coming, ends up shooting the kid as a result of it. And it's so sad when we see things like that, but the fact of the matter is, can you imagine the disrespect that young man had for a law enforcement officer that he, in fact, hit him before he got out of the car, actually. And, uh, and we live in a day, the knockout game's another good example. 
I mean, you got kids walking down the sidewalk, and here's some 70-year-old man, you know, walking down through there, and just out of the blue, they cold cock him and knock him flat uh, on, on, the, on, on the ground, and, and, and that's fun. Look, there are people that that's what they enjoy, inflicting pain on other people. And the sooner we come to realize that, the better off we are. That's the kind of world we live in. There are people... They don't care. It's like we hear about it nearly every day here in Houston. You know, they'll rob some place, and they're not content with just getting the money or the new Michael Jordan tennis shoes or whatever it is. They don't want to leave any witnesses. They have no value for life. And so he says the, uh, here they, they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Verse 19 and the way of wicked is his darkness. They know not at what they stumble. Well, you can't walk in darkness without eventually stumbling. That's the point. And you can't live in sin without eventually getting hurt. It's just the law of God. Verse 20, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. So whenever you consider what he just said in these last two verses especially, it's so easy to see why he wanted his son to pay attention and to listen because as a parent, he has his child's best interest at heart. Verse 21 and 22, and we'll be through. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, basically, when you look at those two verses, you know what he said? He just repeated what he's already said in a little bit different way. You know, a lot of times we despise repetition. You know, well, I heard that sermon before, or he taught that just last year. I, I've got it marked down right here in my Bible. That's where he preached from last year or something, you know. Let me ask you this. Whenever we go to teach our little children the ABCs, how do we do it? Repetition. If they're memorizing sections out of the Bible, how do we do it? Repetition over and over and over again. And especially when it comes to the book of Proverbs, we see, by the way, if you don't like repetition, you need to take it up with God. He wrote this book, not me. And over and over and over again, he's being repetitious, but he knows that we need that. And here is a daddy trying to teach his son And he's saying basically the same thing in a little bit different way. But all of you parents can identify with that, can't you? Because you know what a struggle it is to capture the attention and the heart of your child and to convince them that you really do have their best interest at heart. Boy, you know, whenever we think about what an awesome responsibility it is in raising our children... Wow, that is just, I, I, you know, I, I wish when I started out that I, I knew half as much as I know now because I could have done a whole lot better job than I did. But I imagine we all probably feel that way. But, but you know, regardless of maybe all of your children are already grown, but regardless of what the situation is, we can all be used of God in some way or another Uh, to help others to understand the importance of us transmitting the truth of God's Word, emphasizing to our young people how important it is that they get understanding and they get wisdom. 
Their life depends on it, folks. And that's what he's trying to get through. Now, next week, Lord willing, we're going to start in verse 23. And I'm going to call this little last section the treasure of wisdom. But the great thing about it is verse 23. I'm going to have a hard time ever getting off of that. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And uh, it, this has got to be one of the most important verses that we'll consider throughout our whole study. So I hope it will be possible for you to be with us in our next lesson. Anyone have a word before we leave? Uh,